This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jonathan Turley at the bottom of the hour. We'll use him for multiple of situation from Rittenhouse. That trial, what happens today, as well as what's happening with the Durham investigation and the chances of these uh, mandates uh, being overruled. Right now, it's stayed on private businesses. OSHA, can they rule over businesses with over 100 people and say, you're going to get fired, you're not allowed to go to work if you are not vaccinated? Pro-vaccine, not pro-mandate. That's the story. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think you're looking at legitimate allies. I think you're pushing, and, and that includes AMSITS, you're probably pushing up close to 100,000. For example, if you have 6,000 Afghan special operators, which we do, then you look at 20,000 family members, right? That, that's what's not being talked about. Veterans Day today. Once again, our disastrous exit from Afghanistan have us wondering how we could leave so many behind and how only private groups are looking to help get our people and our allies out. Winter weeks away and then everything's frozen. Literally, evacuations will stop. What is getting done on this Veterans Day? Number two. The defense is going to be making a motion for a mistrial. However, that motion is going to be requested with prejudice. I'm aware that the court's aware. <clears throat> that normally a, a defense motion uh, for a mistrial does not preclude a retrial. And that's the key, not having a retrial, because it looks as though Rittenhouse will get out. The teenager who's on trial for murder, when case was clear, clearly showing self-defense, the details as they unfold, as they have unfolded, but why I believe the entire tragic story could have been avoided if we didn't have a war on cops. Number one. Everything from a gallon of gas to a loaf of bread costs more. And it's worrisome, even though wages are going up. We still face challenges, and we have to tackle them. We have to tackle them head on. Huh. President Biden, it's your economy, stupid. President Biden presiding over the slow-motion car crash of what was once an American revival and how his policies are sending us backward. How is his next package, how his next package could bring us down for good? Inflation's at its highest in three decades. Our supply chain is jammed up and the rise of energy prices hurting everyone listening right now. The only people it's not hurting, Russia and anybody in OPEC, led by Saudi Arabia. Has anyone heard of leverage driving the prices down, how it's in our best interest, doing whatever's possible? Not, not this administration. I'm just going to give you some numbers, but you, have, you know how it feels. Uh, prices rose 0.9% from last month, an annual inflation rate of 6.2%. If that sounds like a lot, it is. The biggest increase since 1990. The president labeled it worrisome. Now, Joe Manchin, to his um, infinite wisdom, has gone further than that. He says this, going forward is important to the Congress. Uh, this is according to the president. He says, going forward, it's important for the Congress to pass my Build Back Better plan, which is fully paid for and does not add to the debt. And we'll get more Americans working by reducing the cost of child care, elder care, and help directly lower costs for American families by providing more affordable health care coverage. Now, the 
CBO has not scored it, won't score it by November 15th, so therefore they can't have a vote. No moderate would weigh in and do it without a vote. They made that clear when they passed a bipartisan bill, which the Republicans sent uh, sent to success. So what he just said is not true. It is not paid for. Number two, when you say elder care, when you say preschool, when you say child care, that costs money. So you're taking it out of the private sector, putting it into the public sector, and assuming that they could do it better than the private sector. We just don't have an economy that I'm that in a country that has cradle-to-grave coverage and a social safety net. It wipes out the ability to be successful if you put a, a, a limit and you put a basic income. If you put all these programs together, you can't possibly earn enough to make our country at the leading edge economically. That's the problem. Senator Joe Manchin sees all this, saw those numbers I just saw. Furniture up 12%, bacon up 20%, steak up 24%, sporting goods up 10%, used cars up 26%, 60% rise in gas prices. And he writes this, by all accounts, the threat posed by the record inflation to the American people is not transitory, because he's referring to the fact that that's what Joe Biden said, as instead getting worse. From the grocery store to the gas pump, Americans know the inflation tax is real, and D.C. can no longer ignore the economic pain Americans feel every day. My hope is Manchin continues to dig in, does not sign on to the 1.5 that he said he would or the 1.7 compromise number. I don't think we can, have, I don't think we can afford it. I don't see us bouncing back from this. If you want to know the overall message, listen to the woman that the president nominated for a key finance position Saul Amarova, the American Accountability Foundation. This is what she said as she works her way through the process. My hope is some Democrats bail on her. She's absolutely the inverse of what we need. She's a pro-Soviet Union expert. She loved the Soviets. Cut seven. Here what I'm thinking about is primarily coal industry and oil and gas industry. A lot of the smaller players in that industry are uh, going to probably uh, go bankrupt. In, in, in short order, at least we want them to go bankrupt if we want to tackle climate change, right? Do you believe this woman? She wants them to go bankrupt. Do you know who's behind the bankruptcy? You know who works for those places? People. You know what else? Profit. You know what else happens? People lose their jobs. Companies go up in smoke because you have this green agenda, which is anti-American agenda. The technology is not there. John Kerry can't run this country. John Kerry did a terrible job in the State Department, is doing an awful job now. We have no interest in changing our economy in the middle of an energy crisis because you want to be cool with your rich friends and famous Hollywood elites. Kevin Hassett, former Council of Economic Advisors chairman, cut 10. Everybody is telling you that there are all these problems, but they're transitory. The shelves are empty, but it's the supply disruption. The prices are going up, but it's transitory. But it's not. When inflation gets this high, it just keeps going up. He's really doing econocide. You know, he's got a demand stimulus that's as big as we've ever seen. And then he's whacking the heck out of supply. You know, he's uh, regulating firms, promising big tax hikes. You know, we would have the highest marginal tax rate in the whole developed world if they pass those tax hikes. And, and all that is basically creating all this cash chasing supply, but supply is going down. And so you see inflation. So Kevin has had the best word ever, econocide. It's self-inflicted. And that's why he's got 38% approval rating. Kamala Harris, and we'll get to her later, 27% approval rating. 70% of the country thinks we're heading in the wrong direction. Coming out of a pandemic when we told people to go back to work. Now he wants to create jobs. We have 7 million out of work. 
The problem is there's 10 million jobs. So you're going to create another 10 million jobs and say they're going to be good-paying jobs because they're union? And for the, traditionally 15% of this country is union? For the most part, if you go union, there are certainly benefits to that. But for the most part, we're not going to unionize our way out of problems. Byron York about what we're experiencing. Cut 12. Politics aside, I mean, this inflation news today was terrible, wiping out all the gains, the wage gains that people have made over the past year. And the problem with the Biden administration is they just don't seem to know what to do about it on the on the supply chain problem. Obviously, that's why the president went to the port of Baltimore today. But they seem to take notice of it once there were a zillion ships uh, idling off the Southern California coast and not really before. And on spending, uh, it appears that Democrats are devoting all of their time, and I mean all of their time, trying to figure out a way to make things worse. Okay, uh, we'll leave it at that. I want to get your take. How are you experiencing this inflation? Is it worth it? Do you feel as though you need the child care? You need the elder care? You need the expansion of Medicare? You need the preschool? And you're willing to sacrifice more of your paycheck to do it? I don't believe that we are set up in a market economy to have these type of social programs. And if you want to know proof, every year we're over budget by about $500 billion, maybe more now. And now you have $28 trillion compiled debt. So this will just add to the debt. We're not going to grow our way out of it by upping the taxes on the most productive people in the country. The math doesn't add up, but the political agenda and ideology does. For people that don't care, they just want to get this done. So I want to touch on Kyle Rittenhouse. This uh, 17-year-old goes down to Kenosha after a couple of days of rioting. He watches the cops backed off because politically they're not allowed to go forward. And they just start burning down Kenosha, Wisconsin, because of the shooting of Jacob Blake. The cops were called to that house because his fiance, girlfriend, was feeling threatened. Who knows what he was on? He comes out, attacks two cops, knocks them over. Uh, they go to he goes to get in the car. There's a kid in the back. He the cops shoot at close range. Didn't look like the best answer to this problem. But when somebody's walking through a taser and they're already looked at as a threat. Do you let him drive off? That's for another time. But the result is burning down Kenosha. Kyle Rittenhouse and a couple of his friends think they're going to go protect businesses. They show up and all hell breaks loose. Kyle Rittenhouse gets attacked. You watch a lot of this on video. Four people get shot. Two people get killed. They have him in jail. They they have him on trial for murder. And the problem is for the prosecution, he was in self-defense. The video shows it. He was being guns pointed at him. Another gun was being taken from him. They grabbed the barrel. It was self-defense. Here's a little of the trial, and then we'll try to pick it up a little bit today because I think we're heading towards a mistrial, which, of course, every other channel believes this shows white supremacy. Cut 16. You see Mr. Rosenbaum coming at you? Yes. And what do you do then? Um, After he throws the bag and... He continues to run. He's gaining speed on me. A gunshot is fired from behind me, directly behind me. And I take a few steps, and that's when I turn around. And as I'm turning around, Mr. Rosenbaum is, I would say, from me to where the judge is, uh, coming at me with his arms out in front of him. He, He... I remember his hand on the barrel of my gun. And why didn't you just keep running? When I was over there, there were about 100 people surrounding 
that that those cars and there was no space for me to continue to run to okay and so you turned around yes and as you see him lunging at you what do you do i shoot him and he dies uh and he continues to get harassed. Uh, Rittenhouse attorneys uh, point out the fact that the prosecution starts going after him in a way that the Constitution protects him. For example, he decides not to talk to police. He has he uses his right to remain silent. And they come to the conclusion, does the attorney, he goes, well, when you're silent, isn't that showing that you're guilty? No, I don't know if you've ever heard of America. What kind of law school did this guy go to? And people think the judge was wrong. Some of the sparrings that took place. Now, Rosenbrum ended up grabbing uh, grabbing the barrel of his gun. Here's a little more of the exchange. Cut 17. Since August 25th, 2020, this is the first time that you have told your story. Sustained. Since August 25th, 2020, you've had the benefit of watching countless videos of your actions that night. You've also had the opportunity to listen to the testimony of all 30-some witnesses that have testified in this trial so far, correct? Yes. And after all of that now, you are telling us your side of the story. I am making the point that after hearing everything in the case, now he's tailoring his story to what has already been introduced. The problem is, this is a grave constitutional violation for you to talk about the defendant's silence. And that is, and, and, the, and you're right, you're right on the, you're right on the borderline. And you may, you may be over, but uh, it better stop. Understood. And he got blitzed. We'll talk more about that uh, with Jonathan Turley shortly. And I do want to get your take on this Veterans Day and have you weigh in whether you served or somebody in your family served and as Morgan Luttrell pointed out, is running for office for uh, Kevin Brady's seat in Texas. He said, you know, you got to give sal- a salute on this day to the families and especially the spouses, especially special operators. They just disappear. They can't give out details, sometimes months at a time, multiple uh, deployments. And we know how dangerous their missions are. And they deserve a lot of credit on this day, too. So what do you think about that? one 408 7669 Special thanks to everyone in Madison Connecticut. They came out last night. We had hundreds show up, and the president and freedom fighter came out on the New York Times list. I'll tell you where when we come back. Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Today is November uh, 10th. I mean, how is it possible that that the department doesn't know how many immediate family members are still left? I think it's in Afghanistan. I don't have a number for you. We believe it's uh, certainly uh, most likely in the dozens. Uh, But one of the reasons we put the memo out last week was to encourage service members to come forward. 
I mean, John Kirby, as a spokesperson for a Pentagon that is rudderless and without a mission and seems no one really wants to direct that Pentagon, how do you sit there months later after the embarrassment that was the evacuation and still not know the number of people behind within one? And they act like it's the people's fault when you were offering one person to leave for a family. And now it's private organizations that are doing it. Scott Mann joined us yesterday. He's running Operation Pineapple. And that is a private organization run by special operators, all retired, gave up their careers and families just to get these people out. Cut 28. I think you're looking at legitimate allies. I think you're pushing, and, and inc- that includes AMSITS. You're probably pushing up close to 100,000. I, I think I, that's not a stretch at all. That's including families now, right? So, like, for example, if you have 6,000 Afghan special operators, which we do, then you look at 20,000 family members, right? That's, that's what's not being talked about. Like, this is a... This is a massive number, and this is why it was so crazy to shut down Bagram Airfield and Kandahar Airfield before the withdrawal, because we had the logistical capacity to do this in an organized way, and we forfeited that. But it doesn't change the reality of the people on the, of what you have on the ground, which is you know 6,000 special operators plus families. You know, all this stuff, I mean, at least they're taking action. Uh, some of these veterans, the suicide, the close to suicide hotlines have doubled. Uh, the amount of uh, people, uh, the average everyday American compared to veterans committing suicide has gone up. And all because Joe Biden was tired of a war and wouldn't listen to his generals. And his generals really didn't have the integrity to quit rather than go through with this. KT is in Georgia. KT, earlier, if you're just tuning in now, we were talking about this Build Back Better plan that the president can't wait to push. He says it's going to be a way to solve inflation. Really? <laughs> Yeah, that's that has nothing to do with with the with inflation. I drive uh, two hundred and you no, know, I drive two hundred and seventy miles a day um, commuting to work. And under Trump, my gas bill every day I, I bought a little hybrid, and that cost me fourteen dollars a tank. Now it costs me twenty five dollars a tank, and that's starting to hurt. Fortunately, I can I can absorb that, but I know there's a lot of people out there who can't. Of course. You have four or five kids. You go paycheck to paycheck. You wait for that dark deposit to come in. You go to the store, and suddenly everything's more expensive. So you have less, and you paid more for it. And then you go to the gas station. It costs more, so we're not doing that. Maybe vacation's got to stop, but it doesn't matter. It has been brought up to me that very few people in the Biden administration, the few that have gotten past the nomination process, ever had a job. They've all been government workers their entire life. They go from academia to public policy. They probably inherited some of their money in most of these cases. They don't really necessarily need the paycheck. They don't know what it's like. That hurts. Uh, one thing about the previous administration, they all had real jobs. one 408 I'm going to unwind the Rittenhouse case and then uh, with Jonathan Turley. His revelations and insight uh, on this case have been fascinating. We're going to bring some more of it today and then take your calls after that. Don't move. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I I was astonished when you began your examination by commenting on the defendant's 
post-arrest silence. That's basic law. It's been basic law in this country for 40 years, 50 years. I have no idea why you would do something like that. And it gives, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave it at that. So I don't know what you're up to. Don't get brazen with me. Uh, uh, you knew very well. You know very well that an attorney can't go into these types of areas when the judge has already ruled without asking outside the presence of the jury to do so. So don't give me that. Wow. And that is the judge opening up on the prosecutor who uh, just started throwing the, uh, the Constitution in the street. Jonathan Choley's been commenting, tweeting, and talking about this and writing about this uh, since his trial began. Let's bring him in right now, law professor George Washington University. Hey, uh, Jonathan, give me some context. What led to that, to that blow up? Well, quite frankly, when many of us were watching, uh, our jaws dropped. I'm a criminal defense attorney, and uh, I would have been apoplexic in that courtroom, uh, and I would have done exactly what the defense counsel did, which was to stand up and object, because this is the brightest of bright lines in the law. You cannot make comment on a defendant remaining silent uh, after an arrest. And this prosecutor knew that. But more importantly, the prosecutor had gone to the court and had lost this fight. And the judge said no. He said, I'll keep it under advisement, but no. And the prosecutor just decided to go ahead and do it. And uh, and tried to defend that decision, which was indefensible, and then went and then changed that and said, "Well, I sh- probably should have raised it with you before I did it." Well, this is really a serious violation. It's hard to make this cat walk backwards because you just made comment of something that should never be uttered in front of a jury. So the judge could dismiss the case and even dismiss it with prejudice, meaning that he could say, I'm not just getting rid of this case. Don't come back. Okay, this guy is not going to be tried again. That's how serious this can be. So, I mean, I I thought I'm getting uh, accurate analysis about this. I also have my feelings about it. Kenosha was burning down and the cops were doing nothing. They've been uh, they've been immobilized because of the uh, the. The tone in the country at the time, cops with a problem, Jacob Blake gets shot, Kenosha burns down, uh, people like this start showing up to help out, sincerely, I believe, but ends up shooting four people, killing two of them, and that a lot of it, thankfully, for his sake, is caught on tape. All your analysis is great, and I want to break it down, and the prosecutor blowing up is a fact, it's not an opinion, but listen to the way some other legal analysts are covering this. This guy's name is Paul Butler on MSNBC, Cut 20. Joy, today the jurors saw what must be the greatest performance of Kyle Rittenhouse's life. He was well prepared by his defense attorneys to disrupt his image as a trigger-happy vigilante who went on a shooting rampage. This is white privilege on steroids. I mean, legally, do you, do you have a white privilege day uh, in, in order to get your degree? Is there, is there a white privilege portion of the Constitution or the law? Yeah, Paul is actually a former colleague of mine, and uh, I, I strongly disagree with that. He's not alone. Uh, you had the Washington Post and other people quoting legal experts saying uh, Rittenhouse looked coached when most of us, uh, regardless of how you feel about the case, uh, felt you know sympathy for him and certainly his mother, who could hear sobbing in the background. Uh, there's no reason to believe that that was coach it seemed perfectly genuine you can still think that he's guilty of a crime 
and not go as far as that. Um, but, you know, this is the echo chamber that we've been seeing in this case. What worries me is a lot of people watching CNN, MSNBC don't have an inkling how bad this case is. Uh, NBC ran uh, a story which, which basically didn't even mention how the wheels fell off the prosecution with its own witnesses. I mean, you had a witness uh, just totally destroy the, the prosecution uh, in, in, on the facts where the prosecution said, how would you know what was in this victim's mind? And the victim came back and said, because he said he was going to effing kill me. <laughs> you know, it was one of those moments where you're like, oh, for love of Mike. And then you had another witness who the prosecutor said, well, you made the statement and no one asked you. We never asked you to change your statement. And he said, yes, you did. And so it's, it's, it's those moments where you rarely see outside of a television you know, series. And it, it, I think at this point, the range of possibilities have likely been reduced uh, between a hung jury and acquittal. And I think that's the reason they put him on the stand, because a lot of defense attorneys would say, for God's sake, why run the risk? We're winning uh, hands down so far. And I think the reason you do it is you don't want a hung jury. You want to you want to put this to bed. You want the case over with. And the way that you could do that is put him on the stand. And he acquitted himself pretty well uh, in terms of his answers, in terms of his demeanor. He looked very young. He, uh, you know, he, he looked like, you know, he, he, he came off across in great details of why he was there. The defense did a good job in, in showing his other conduct um, and um, uh, that he was, you know, trying to take graffiti off of uh, the high school and he was there to give medical aid yeah i mean that might be the story so you know what i worry about jonathan it looks as though if they if they do let's say say mistrial without with prejudice and they say he's basically acquitted you can't be retried people are just going to see black and white a mostly white jury uh in a mostly white town uh by a white guy who uh who has one of his victims a black guy yeah and the, the bizarre thing about this is it, it just seems to me that the Attorney doing the most for Kyle Rittenhouse is the prosecutor, <laughs> Bender. Uh, you know, at, at some point I was just watching, it's like, why are you doing this? At one point he mocked Rittenhouse and said, oh, you said they were throwing bricks at a, a vehicle. Was it really going to hurt the police vehicle? And another point he said, didn't these, you know, rioters tell you not to come out and give aid? As if, like, why didn't you listen to them? I mean, well, well, you disobeyed these rioters. And it was like, whose lawyer are you? You're supposed to be representing the state. <laughs> and we're not really here to say that rioters dictate who can give aid. It's one thing to say, I don't think you were really there to give medical aid. That's fair. That's what a prosecutor should do. And that's what he should have done. But instead, he seemed to be arguing, you know, you shouldn't have given aid when it's clear that a lot of those rioters didn't want you on the street. Yeah, I, I, so we're watching this. When the judge lost his temper, was that overlined? Do you think he showed too much anger, Judge Bruce? You know, Warner? it's funny. He actually caught himself at one point because I don't blame him for being angry. And I got to tell you, I've been in front of some judges that have given tongue lashings worse than this. I, but you saw him. He caught himself at one point. He, he said, he, I think he was about to say, I don't see why I shouldn't just grant the government, the defendant's motion for dismissal. And he just literally cut himself 
in the middle of a word, let alone a line, and went, what? And he just said, let's just leave it there for now. Because he's very, he's, he obviously was aware that he was, you know, if he was being baited by the prosecutor, this would be a mistake. And at one point, I did think the prosecutor was baiting him because no attorney would stand in front of a judge and try to argue, you told me I couldn't do this, but I made a unilateral decision that I could, and then argue with the judge. And I think that he picked that up, too, because it was right after there that he cut himself off because he didn't want to give them a basis to to allege bias. So, Jonathan, what do we expect today? Well, the first thing on everyone's mind is what is it going to do with this motion to dismiss? And, um, you know, the weird thing about this, Brian, is if I was that judge, I, I almost wonder if the defense really wants me to dismiss this case. It seems to me that the people that want me that want the case dismissed, it's almost like the prosecution. I mean, they, I, I, I get the feeling they want this cup taken from their lips. And I'm not too sure that Binder would not be happy if the court said it's over and it can never be tried again, because otherwise they're looking at a possible acquittal with violence in the street as a response. As for the defense, I have to say, if I was on the defense side, I would actually have thought hard about putting in that motion to dismiss. I would have done it, I think, in the end, because you have to preserve the record. But I wouldn't want to see this trial end. I mean, I, I can't imagine you could do better than you have done so far in this trial. So just play it out, quiet the critics, get through it, and hope they don't wreck another city if you don't like it. Yeah, I, well, you know, in some ways for the prosecution, the best of all worlds is a dismissal without prejudice, uh, with prejudice. And then you don't have that acquittal. You don't have, but you may still have the violence, but at least you don't have the acquittal itself. Because you can already see a lot of people in the media, as you just noted, uh, saying, oh, well, this was just fixed. Uh, This was just a performance. And that's just going to fuel the violence. But the thing that will fuel the violence the most is that viewers on CNN, MSNBC, readers of the Washington Post and other uh, uh, newspapers are simply not being told that this case is virtually dead because of what the prosecution did. So if an acquittal comes down, they're going to think it is, exactly as you said, just a rigged game of white supremacists. Lastly, I know this is a little bit of a curveball, but I'm pretty sure you can handle it. Uh, Ron DeSantis is incensed, like many governors, that they're flying in illegals into his state without him knowing it, putting them into schools without even alerting the superintendent. Illegals we know nothing about, and with sponsors, they know nothing about the program. This is what uh, this is what Ron DeSantis is thinking about uh, doing, and it's going to affect Joe Biden. Cut thirty-three. So here's what happens with these flights: there's no notification to the state of Florida. These are done mostly in the middle of the night. And it's clandestine, and we really have no say into it. Uh, we're going to get together and figure out what we can do in the immediate term uh, to protect folks in Florida. You know, my view would be, why don't we, if, if they're going to come here, you know, we'll provide buses and provide them. Uh, we, I will send them to Delaware. Could he do that? Could, could illegals <laughs> land in, in Jacksonville Airport? Uh, and could you have them get onto buses and then drive them to Delaware? 
Um, I actually think that they could get an injunction to stop that in Delaware. It's one thing for the federal government, which has the authority to move immigrants anywhere they want. They, what remains is the political issue uh, and, you know, whether the public, you know, will support that. But for a state to uh, send uh, these uh, individuals to another state in mass uh, would likely result in an injunction. I understand the frustration of these governors, and uh, and I understand why he's picking out Delaware, which, by the way, can't doesn't have enough room for the number of, of immigrants we're talking about. Uh, but I expect a court would enjoin it. Okay, uh, it, it does seem wrong, doesn't it, Jonathan? Just to ship kids into schools, into districts, most of which are working class, which means underfinanced and overcrowded, and they don't ask for permission? I mean, it's, it, doesn't it feel wrong? Well, I think that what's fascinating to, uh, on this is I don't understand how they're politically going to thread this needle. Uh, you know, the you know they're they're sending large numbers of these individuals across the country to to the school systems that are already stretched and also health systems that are stretched and so there's going to be a likely uh backlash i uh, and i think that what people are seeing is the displacement costs of federal policy you know the federal government often talks about this like it's their decision alone, and the courts have given them reason to do that. They give the government such great deference, but it's actually the cities and states that have to carry the burden. Once they're in the country, they then you know, plug into those state and local programs. Incredible. Uh, it's it's just it's wrong. And, and a lot of these guys are pretending there's somebody else. You know about the murder guy pretending he was 17. He was 22. Killed his sponsor family, uh, killed the father, uh, just murdered him. Uh, and they find out he lied about who he was at fake ID. They put him into a sponsor family in from Honduras. And because you know nothing, this is like playing the lotto. You feel like you're doing a good thing. And you end up in a horrific situation, and these kids are going into these areas, and they don't speak the language. And a lot of times the second language uh, that they do speak is not Spanish. So these schools aren't equipped with these multilingual teachers that are going to be giving the services, and it takes away from your kid's service. And you wonder, how did this happen? They're not in Beverly Hills. They're not in Upper East Side Manhattan. They're certainly not going to private schools. Uh with these horrible uh, rich people, we know how bad they are. Listen to Joe Biden. So I just don't see how we're, how this is the program that, that's going to work. Jonathan, we'll, we'll look forward to your analysis on the trial when it gets underway. Thanks, Brian. Okay. Uh, thanks for letting me vent. one 408 7669 I have a lot to cover. I want to hear from you. I see you on the line. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. On this Veterans Day, take a minute and thank them. Thank you for your service. Happy Veterans Day from the Brian Kilmeade Show. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The more you listen... 
The more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you want to know why critical race theory exists, the actual law school theory that emphasizes that supposedly colorblind laws in America often still have racially discriminatory outcomes, then look no further than the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. You feel like I, I was having flashbacks to the George Zimmerman trial, right? I mean, everything from Kyle Rittenhouse using sort of cop speak about trying to stop the threat, saying this sort of really dramatic thing that the person he shot supposedly said that sounded like a gangster movie, you know? And then this whole thing of, you know, he, the whole breaking down and dry heaving in court, that was one thing that we didn't see from Zimmerman, but, you know, making himself the victim. Unbelievable. You see it on video. That is Joy Reid. I would love for these people to have a producer to say, I know you're tempted just to play the race card, but why don't you shock everyone and say the kid is innocent, was in self-defense, the cops had disappeared, not because they didn't want to act, because they weren't empowered to act. That's why they looked at Rittenhouse as not a problem, and that's why he ran to the cops after the shooting. If What killer do you know that runs to the cops and tells them exactly how they saw it? Eric, who's on WDBO in Orlando. Well, I will be November 21st at the Plaza Live. Go to uh, BrianKillMe.com. Just order tickets. Starting to fill up. Eric, what do you think? Brian, once again, we're on the edge of fire. Uh, the people that coached Lazy Ford are complaining about coached witnesses. But uh, what I caught, I was watching a lot of the trial highlights, and uh, they asked Kyle Rittenhouse why was he on the street with a gun. Meanwhile, they have a white shooting victim who's a convicted felon who had an illegal gun with the serial number scratched off not a word no charges so what this shows me is if there is any privilege in the united states it's rioter privilege what's your take on all that we saw it for a year and a half gene in florida hey gene good morning brian first time caller yeah it's veterans day and there's a huge movement at fox now to team with the homeless veterans unit uh in order to give money to try to solve this problem Yes, um, my grandfather, uh, immigrant from Poland, and nine of his children, including a daughter, served in four wars over the years. And when I heard the figure this morning, 38,000, I knew it was high, but it just brought tears to my eyes. And, and Gene, that's to keep in mind on Veterans Day. Thanks to the service in your family. Brian Kilmichio. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Yes, New York will soon be the first time, first place anywhere to demand that five-year-olds show their vaccination cards. It'll be great going out to a restaurant. Everyone's got their cards except little Billy. Uh, if not, you're going to have to sit in the car till we're done at, uh, at Applebee's. You heard it. When I, tell, when I give you your vaccination card, you lose it. You're going to have to learn a lesson. Right. Uh, that's what Mayor de Blasio is going to do, continuing to plague the country with these unnecessary mandates. They're coming for your kids now. Before we get to Chris Wallace and at the bottom of the hour, one of America's finest historians, H.W. Brands, let's go to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think you're looking at legitimate allies. I think you're pushing, and and that includes AMSITS, you're probably pushing up close to 100,000. For example, if you have 6,000 Afghan special operators, which we do, then you look at 20,000 family members, right? That's that's what's not being talked about. Is this sickening? Veterans Day is today. Once again, a disastrous exit from Afghanistan 
has us wondering how we could leave so many behind and how many private groups are looking to help get our people out and why the Pentagon, the State Department, and the White House isn't. Number two. The defense is going to be making a motion for a mistrial. However, that motion is going to be requested with prejudice. I'm aware that the court's aware that normally a a defense motion uh, for a mistrial does not preclude a retrial. Rittenhouse, the teenager who's on trial for murder when the case is clearly showing self-defense. The trial, uh, the details as they unfold, as they have unfolded. But why I believe this entire tragic story could have been avoided if we didn't have a war on cops. Number one. Everything from a gallon of gas to a loaf of bread costs more. And it's worrisome, even though wages are going up. We still face challenges and we have to tackle them. We have to tackle them head on. Uh, right. We'll tackle them head on. Can somebody? It's your economy, if I dare I say stupid. President Biden presiding over the slow-motion car crash of what was once an American revival and how his policies are sending us backward, how his next package could bring us down. Inflation at its highest in 30 years, a supply chain all jammed up, the rise in energy prices stunning. It's hurting everyone. Chris Wallace joins us now. He was off last week, the untold story of 247-day hunt to bring the mastermind of 9-11 to justice. Countdown bin Laden still available. Chris, welcome back. I wasn't off last week. I was busy. I was uh, getting a big award for journalism at the Panetta Institute in California. Really? Yeah. If you watch my show, I interviewed a bunch of people and I got the award. And I wasn't off. I was working. Oh, so you were interviewing people from the loca- on location? Well, uh, some in D.C., uh, including Liz Cheney. And uh, what do you think of Liz Cheney? I've always liked her. Uh, I've always liked her. I thought she's extremely smart, very tough. Um, and yeah, no one's gonna yeah, no one's gonna change my mind about George W. Bush either. I think George Bush is a great guy. I mean, I think he's a much better president than anyone let on. I thought uh, uh, Dick Cheney could not have been more experienced than what he did. I felt like the decisions he made could not come from a lack of caring or a lack of knowledge. Former Secretary of Defense, that whole era. I thought Liz Cheney was extremely valuable to his to her father. So she knows where she stands. She's anti-Trump. So and as long as Trump's around, she will always be uh, – uh, she's going to have to fight for her seat very hard. In fact, experts think she might not retain it. But you, you, you don't have a problem with her taking that position out as a matter of conscience? Absolutely not. I mean, I, I, the January Good. 6th – I agree with absolutely you. Not. I, you know, yeah. She has the courage of her conviction. Yeah, that's real. That's not personal. It's real. And and that's what she is. Yeah. Good. I I agree. I think, you know, frankly, I I think she's a patriot. Now, you can disagree with her. uh, But, you know, January 6th did happen. And, you know, it's something that we can't just sweep under the just like 9-11 happened, like a lot of terrible things happen. And you've got to try to figure out what happened and why it happened. Absolutely. And and I guess I I, I do. I do. I am curious when you see some people in this uh, in this Republican caucus who are really out there. I mean, Paul Gosar, I mean, you know, the, the, the congressman from Arizona. I mean, have you seen that video? I've seen the video. It's 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 dumb. it's awful. Yeah. What? It's dumb. Yeah. Well, I think it's worse than that. I mean, showing attacking uh, AOC and attacking. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised the Secret Service hasn't uh, gotten to him and talked to him. I mean, there's freedom 
of speech, and I respect that, but it's sending images that are threatening about the president of the United States, I don't care if it's Donald Trump or Barack Obama or whomever, that's over the line. And, and I guess I'm a little shocked that a Republican Party – and you know, I, there's a lot of people in the Republican Party I respect – somehow that Liz Cheney is in more trouble than Paul Gosar. There's something wrong there. Couple of things. Uh, number one, the biggest story is not January sixth right now, but if you watch any other channel, it is on literally three quarters of every hour. Number two, if there's a Republican uh, that wants to come out against Donald Trump, get in line. They've been coming out from day one. I mean, Bill Crystal now is, uh, you know, he's seeing eye to eye with the most liberal person on the left. You could line up some anti-Trumpers, traditional Republicans. To me, that's not a story. To me, is work within the Trump era to be successful as a Republican. She made a decision. I have no interest in doing that. And I think people like Mitch McConnell and Liz Cheney, who uh, came out against Trump, did not see him surviving, especially without social media, which is another sub-story, is how are we overplaying how much social media means to a successful candidate. But the biggest story in this country is not January 6th. It is the people that are filling up their gas tank, going shopping, hoping to get a gift, Wondering why, uh, who lived for the most people, middle to lower class is the bulk of the country. And they're wondering, what are people doing to rein in the spending? I have an idea. Let's spend more. Well, look, I, I, I don't know which is a more important story. There's no question that inflation is the biggest story right now because it's new right now. And I agree with you that it, it, it directly affects people's lives. This is a political killer if they don't get it under control. And I'm not sure they can. Look, I think that there are some things that you can blame Biden and his agenda for directly. Energy. Uh, You know, you had, uh, well, energy and inflation and the spending. You know, you had Larry Summers, who is a pretty liberal guy. He was the Treasury Secretary for Bill Clinton. He was the head of the National Economic Council, top White House economic advisor for Barack Obama. And back last spring, he said, you're going to unleash inflation. He was less concerned about the infrastructure bill and the Build Back Better because they're over time. And, and to some degree, they're paid for. But he was really concerned about the COVID relief bill and putting two trillion dollars into the economy then. And, it, you know, how many how many times did we hear people from Joe Biden on down say inflation was going to be, quote, transitory? Well, you know, you could say life is transitory, but at a certain <laughs> point, it's pretty permanent. And, you know, here we are six, eight months later. And we still got inflation, and in fact, it's getting worse, not better. But, but, and but that, Chris, that, that has a. Let me just finish yeah. quickly. I it just that can, it has enormous practical impl- implications for everybody's lives, and it is a political killer. If people go and they, you know, that's something they directly feel, as opposed to a lot of other things we talk about. And if you go to the gas station, you go to the grocery store, and it costs a lot more than it used to. You feel that. You notice that. I want you to hear what Mark Penn just said. Uh, as you know, he was a longtime Clinton pollster. Let's listen. It's about as difficult a situation as I've seen outside an indictment or an impeachment. I mean, <laughs> the, we, we really saw ratings start to tank over the summer, greatly accelerated, uh, greatly accelerated with what happened in Afghanistan. And now on top of that, you know, runaway inflation after the administration predicted that inflation would be transitory uh, is really a perfect storm against the administration. So it's about as difficult a situation 
as I can imagine. And I always have what, what I call the rule of 50. The minute you, you go below 50, it, it accelerates downward uh -huh. because everyone realizes it's in their political advantage to kick you. And I kind of think that's what, what's well, happened. And that's why you have 10 senators watch, uh, writing him, Democratic senators writing him yesterday, President Biden. That was Mark Penn talking about 38% approval rating of the president, 27% of the vice president. That's why you have uh, 10 or 11 senators on the Democratic side say do something about energy prices in this country. And that includes tapping the, uh, the, the oil preserve, the energy, the, uh, the emergency Strate oil that we strategic, have. Yeah, yeah, strategic the, oil preserve. Strategic petroleum. Um, look. He, he got Biden got to 38 percent approval the old fashioned way. He earned it. And, uh, you know, he, he, he's in a mess right now. And it's a mess somewhat mostly of his own making to some degree. Not I clearly he's responsible for the way we got out of Afghanistan. He's responsible for where we are at the border. As I say, inflation is complicated because part of it has to do with, you know, shutting the economy down and then starting it up again. But, you know, some of the spending and the, the huge increase on the demand side, I think he's responsible for. He's, he's in serious, serious trouble. And, you know, we saw that on Election Day last week with, the, you know, the defeat in, for Democrats in, uh, in Virginia and the near defeat, shocking near defeat in New Jersey. Um, right now, I mean, if the election were held today, I think Democrats would be wiped out in the, in the Senate and the House. They would, you know, we'd have uh, Speaker McCarthy and Senate Majority Leader McConnell. The one thing he's got going for him is he's got time. They're not holding the election now. They're holding it a year from now. So maybe he can get it together. But, boy, um, he, he's in, he's you know, they, they say when, when you're in a hole, stop digging. He's got to stop digging. Absolutely. And what I think that there's things that happen. The pandemic is not Trump's fault. He gets judged on how he handled it. You have a vaccine. How does it get accelerated out when the presidency changes? Uh, the mandate, I think, is the most unnecessary tension filled part of what Joe Biden did in the defiant way, the way he's doing it. To me, the best way to do it, especially now that kids from five to 11, the best way to do it is to say, I need everyone to go to their pediatrician, and I hope they find with our doctors and the and the, uh, the federal and the federal government have said that your child is better off with it than not with it. But by soon to demand it, as the mayor of you probably don't know this, but the mayor of New York City is a, is thinking about demanding every five and eleven year old have paperwork to prove they're vaccinated. I want you to hear, uh, and I just want to get your take on that. Um. Well. You know, I, look, the five to 11 year olds, that hasn't happened yet. So let's wait and see uh, whether that's mandated in, in terms of the country. And look, you and I disagree on this subject. You're you know, pro mandate. Respect. Well, I mean, what what some people are saying is it should be. A, and, and, you know, this is a different way of phrasing it. Say it's a test mandate that the mandate is you have to get tested every week now. If you get a vaccine, so that's what the mandate is. Now, if you have a vaccine, then you don't have to get tested. You can opt out of the of the test mandate. But you know, and when you think about it, that's a much smarter way of putting it. You want to go work in in a workplace, you have to be tested every week. I mean, look, you and I, you work in New York, I work in Washington. But if if we worked in the same city and we were near each other in offices, do what right do I have to be protected from you? 
and, and the possibility that with your freedom of choice, it's like the old line, you know, that my freedom of my fist ends at the point of your jaw. Um, I can't just go around swinging and hitting people. So I, I think you would certainly agree that if you're not vaccinated and I am, that you should have to take a test so that you're COVID free when you come into the into the office. I think that if would you, you want to do a testing option, I would think if there's a testing option like we have at Fox, you have a testing right. option. Well, so well, they but they do. For instance, the the, the Biden mandate, the, what they call the vaccine mandate, has a testing option too. You know, but, for companies of over a hundred, you either get the vaccine or. But maybe what it should be called, and maybe this would change. I don't know. Probably not. Is call it a testing mandate? You have to get tested now. If you want to opt out of the have to get tested, then get the vaccine. So that that's the that's the freedom of choice. I actually think that's a pretty smart argument. Absolutely. I, uh, I, I, I'm tempted. I just want to play Harold Ford talking about the Democratic perspective and just have you answer quick. Um, yes, sir. Okay. Why don't you do this? This is not a binary choice. Either you end fossil fuels and pursue a complete green energy platform. If I were in the administration tonight, I would definitely tap the strategic oil reserve, not because it's going to solve the problem, but it sends a message to the world that we're willing to do uh, things to, to enable ourselves to be sufficient. Two, we should, he should reverse the XL pipeline uh, decision, largely because I think it, it, it does the first thing I said, that it, it signals to the world how serious we are. And if you think about that pipeline, it's, it's, heaven, that it's transporting that heavier crude, which we can refine here uh, down in the Gulf. Three, I'd modernize, modernize our pipelines here in the country. We have to. Again, we, we're not saying we don't believe that green energy is the future, but we have to sustain ourselves now. And he just, what the series of things that he could do uh, to start to attack this problem and send a message that they were working towards it, I thought that he was brilliant in just outlining that while still being a Democrat and not alienating Yeah, I, I, actually, I'd never heard that before. I think that's smart as can be. I mean, on the other hand, you had John Kerry, the climate czar in Glasgow, saying there'll be no coal in 2030. <laughs> There's going to be coal in 2030. And I, be, I'm a climate, I believe in climate change. I believe that there's a human component to it. And I think we do have to transfer off, but it's, it's going to be hard. It's going to be complicated. Yeah. There are a lot of people in industry, so we've got to have – it's not just a, a fiat, a, you know, a mandate. It's got to be right. a, pl- a plan to get from here to there quickly. My guess on Sunday, vaccine mandates. We're going to have Ken Paxton, the attorney general of Texas, who is one of the people suing uh, Joe Biden over his vaccine mandate. And we're going to have the uh, Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Vivek Murthy, and our power player of the week, Winsome Sears, the lieutenant. Have you talked to her? Not yet. She is fascinating. Let me tell you, this woman, if, they, if, they, if, they, if she were a stock, I'd invest in her because she ain't going to finish. She's not stopping at Lieutenant Governor of Virginia. I hear you. Uh, Chris Wallace, great to, have, great to have you. Congratulations on the Panetta Award. <laughs> Whatever that is, right? No, but Leon, <laughs> he's the best. Thanks so much, Chris. <laughs> Appreciate it. When we come back, your calls one 408 7669 Then the nation's premier historian, perhaps H.W. Brands on our first civil war, and it's not the one I talk about. Freedom speaks for itself, and we wouldn't have it without you. Thank you for serving our country and being the best Americans you can be. Happy Veterans Day from the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Special thanks to everybody that's been supporting the president and freedom fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, in the battle to save America's soul. It opened up number three in the New York Times list. Paul McCartney in another book I didn't hear of, immune, uh, uh, immune Compromised or something like that. Well, whatever. Paul McCartney and I have a long rivalry, so this just is another uh, vicious chapter. No, but I appreciate all the support last night in Madison, Connecticut. What a great town. It feels like it was cut out of colonial America. Bunch of fantastic people. Thank goodness the weather was good. It was, it's a great bookshop, but there's not a room for hundreds of people. I think we sold uh, we all sold hundreds of books. So that everyone was in a good mood. We took pictures with everybody. It was a great time. Tonight I'll be in Doylestown. I think it's Pennsylvania. It looks like it's sold out, but if you call the store... They will uh, take your order, and I can customize it. I'll get there early and fill it out for you, so at least you'll have the book, being that every other gift in America is stuck on a, on a ship outside Los Angeles or Long Beach uh, on the West Coast. Uh, and then uh, Friday, I'll be in Albany. Uh, please try to join me there. Just find it all on BrianKillMe.com. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, time to put this country in perspective. I don't know if you saw the New York Times. I think it was on Monday. They said the 1619 Project that caused so much controversy ended up being a curriculum. Now they're coming out with a book, the 1619 book, to prove to everybody, in case you were not uh, won over yet, that America was born in 1619, not 1776. H.W. Brands would probably like to take on that uh, that premise. He's a history professor at the University of Texas at Austin, best-selling author, and his latest book is Our First Civil War, Patriots and Loyalists in the American Revolution. H.W. Uh, Brands, welcome back. Hi, Brian. Good to be back with you. Congratulations. What, what, this is an unbelievable premise. It's so cool. What, what prompted you to make you feel like this, this area was ripe for you? Well, Most people know of the American Revolution as a time when Americans rose up, demanded, and won their independence from Britain. But the story is more complicated than that. Americans first had to decide among themselves whether they wanted independence or not. And in fact, this question split Americans. And there were those who said, yes, independence. But what that meant was forsaking the country of their birth and taking up arms against it. That's a big deal. That's a big decision. Others said, no, no, we we need to stick with Britain. The British Empire has been good for us, and it needs fixing. Yeah, but it doesn't need overthrowing. So it was patriot against loyalists, and it sometimes divided families. For example, Benjamin Franklin's family. Oh, so this is a very poignant example, because Benjamin Franklin, first of all, he was a very unlikely rebel. He was extremely successful within the British Empire, and he was 70 years old when all this happened. But he decided, enough is enough, time to get out. His son, William Franklin, successful in his own right, said, no, Dad, I'm not going with you. And Benjamin Franklin was very hurt by this. He was quite pained by the fact that his son would choose Britain over him personally. For Benjamin Franklin, it became a personal thing, and it, it tore the family apart. Just one of the things that did it, when you look at the reasons, first off, that, that even brought this question up, you see a slow simmer. When, can you outline the series of events that had people like Jefferson and Madison and Monroe and uh, Washington and Benjamin Franklin uh, and Alexander Hamilton say, we have no choice, we have to get, we have to fight for our freedom? 
Yeah, well, one of the things that I do in the book is to connect the personal lives of individuals with the political context that they live in. And it became a very personal choice. And so you could look at individuals, and you wouldn't necessarily be able to predict that this one is going to become a rebel, that is a patriot, and this one is going to remain a loyalist, that is, oppose independence. But the, the big story is that the American colonies, American English colonies were founded at the beginning of the 17th century, and for about 150 years, the British government left them pretty much on their own. Americans got used to the idea of running their own affairs. They developed a strong individualistic streak. And when the British government decided in the 1760s to tighten up the administration, to tell the Americans more of what they couldn't do, and then the things that they must do, like paying taxes that they hadn't paid before, then this individualistic streak came out, and Americans basically said, you know, we want to run our own affairs. And that's sort of the, the most straightforward way of explaining all of this. Now, again, there are other people who said, this doesn't warrant a war. Let's just work on the political situation in Britain, and maybe we can change the minds of the British government. But those who became patriots, Washington, Jefferson, Adams, the whole, whole bunch, they said, sorry, it's gone too far. We must have our own country. And they would fight. And it's just hard to think, uh, H talking to H.W. Brands now, hard to th imagine. So are you going to take on the world's superpower, uh, the largest army, best Navy, and you're going to try to beat them without any experienced army or Navy. They're going to be militia. And America wasn't even united in the cause. Well, yeah. And so that, that last thing you said is the heart of my story. Because John Adams himself, who was probably as good a judge of this as anyone, said that at the outset of the war, only a third of Americans were patriots. That is firmly in favor of independence. Another third were the loyalists. They said we ought to stick with Britain. And the other third were in the middle. So much of the struggle for American independence was the struggle among Americans. And in fact, the ugliest, the most bitter fighting in the war was not Americans against British. It was Americans against Americans as often happens in civil wars. So, uh, H.W., as we start progressing in this war, the British thuggish behavior and the pickup uh, of the oppressive behavior and the savage way in which they fought and would dominate these cities, would that help unite people behind the rebel cause? So the British, as a government, they had to make a decision. It's a tactical decision, and that is, do we try to crush the rebellion, and that is, and, and so we can defeat the patriots. But if we do that, will we alienate more of that middle ground? So there are political and military decisions that go together in all of this. And similar considerations are happening on the patriot side. So when George Washington was trying to hold his army together at Valley Forge, he was running out of food, and they needed food. They needed stuff to eat. There was food in the surrounding area, but Washington had to be very careful about sending his men out to forage and basically steal the cattle of the people who lived in the area, depriving them of what they needed because it might drive them over to the loyalist side. So this is a reminder that every war is essentially a political contest. Wars begin in politics, they end in politics, and the politics doesn't go away in the middle of the fighting. The other thing to keep in mind, we had uh, American Indians, the indigenous people. What side are they going to take? And what about uh, the American slave culture? Uh, sadly, slavery was existing mostly in the South. Uh, what side would they take? Would British try to take advantage and promise the slaves freedom if they would, in fact, fight for them? And what about the Indians? We know they played a big role in the War of 1812. Yeah. So this is exactly it. Basically, everybody 
who was in the American colonies, the new American states, had to make a decision. Which side are you going to choose? The decision was relatively straightforward for the white folks, but for their slaves, where did, where did they fall? They did have to make a decision after the British government offered freedom to those slaves of patriot masters who had crossed the lines and come over to the British side and fight against their former masters. Some slaves took up the offer. Others said, wait, this is too risky. I'm not sure I can trust the British promise. So slaves had to make a choice. The Native Americans, the Indians, they had to make a choice. They had been making choices for 100 years. Every time Britain and France went to war, the Indian tribes had to say, well, should we side with the British? Should we side with the French? <laughs> After the end of the French and Indian War, the French were gone, but now all of a sudden they have to decide between the American patriots, the independent movement, and the British loyalists. And some chose one, some chose the other. How do we, uh, how do we after the French-Indian War, what, what was left? Like, how did that set up the Revolutionary War? Well, so Americans fought bravely, valiantly, successfully on the side of Britain during the French and Indian War, and they won a big victory, and France was driven out of North America. Now, to people like George Washington, this was a great thing because it would open up the back country of Virginia in the Ohio Valley, and Washington wanted to – Washington had bought some land out there and expected to settle people on the land, and this was part of his business plan. And then the British decide, no, we're not going to allow that. We're not going to allow sales of land. We're not going to allow any new settlements out in the Ohio Valley. The reason the British did that was they wanted to cut back on their defense spending in the colonies. And they knew that when settlers went out into that region, there would be fights with the Indians. And the soldiers would be have to go to the defense of the settlers. So they say, we can prevent this happening by preventing the settlers from going out there. But people like Washington, Benjamin Franklin, owned land out in Ohio. They said, wait a minute. That's what we fought the French for. So we have done our job, and now you're depriving us of the fruits of the victory. So that was one of the first things that caused people like Washington, who, uh, like Franklin, was a really unlikely rebel. He was very successful. He was wealthy. He didn't need this, you know, all of the, the the challenge that would go along with declaring independence, all the risk to his own life. But he concluded at that point that the interests of Britain were no longer the interests of the American colonies. And so the American colonies are going to have to take things into their own hands and declare independence. So I'm looking at this, and, and you do say in, in, your, uh, in your research that I was shocked. Washington condemned the Boston Tea Party. Benjamin Franklin condemned it. So, yes. Yeah, so the thing is that they saw that this was an act of vandalism that tarnished the cause that they were aiming for. Because one of the things that Washington, Franklin, Jefferson, the rest stated down to the moment of independence is what we are fighting for, what we are standing for here in the American colonies is our rights as Englishmen. And the British government in London is depriving us of those rights. And so we want to maintain the moral high ground. And then when this gang, this mob in Boston, destroys this cargo of millions of dollars worth of tea. That simply makes us all look bad. It allows the British government to say that George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, you are just like those Sons of Liberty mobsters who overthrew the tea. So interesting. Um, lastly, never did you think that being a historian would put you in the eye of the storm and not you personally, but your, your business. We are rewriting history, re-examining history, 
And I'm seeing, as in your introduction, I saw the New York Times story that 1619 is not, they weren't content with that project, making it a series to win awards. Um, and then they come out with there's all these things were blatantly untrue, and they told them ahead of time weren't true. Now it's a part of a curriculum, and now we understand it's going to be a book to continue to try to to foster a lot of their beliefs. Do you believe that America started in 1619 or 1776? Well, here's the thing. If you want to know what made America like the rest of the world, focus on 1619, because slavery was common everywhere in the world, and Americans in Virginia in 1619 brought in slaves. So basically no big deal at the time. If you want to know what made America different, what made America unique, what made America the country it is today, 1776 is your moment because at that point, Americans say, we're different. Here's what we stand for. So the dates are both important. But if you're looking at what makes America unique, what makes America worthy of emulation, 1776 is definitely your year. If you read the 1619 series, one thing they say is America fought the Revolutionary War to keep slaves because of the Somerset Agreement. Uh, The British got rid of it in 1760. There's a problem with that premise, isn't there? Oh, it's a huge problem that British the slavery was still quite legal in most of the British Empire, and the British didn't abolish it for another 60 years. And so the Americans were not fighting to defend slavery. In fact, in the Declaration of Independence, in the original draft, Thomas Jefferson condemned the British for what he said that the British imposition of slavery on the American colonies. So the founding fathers all thought slavery was a bad deal, and they thought that it would not fit with republicanism, the new set of values that they're embracing. They couldn't quite figure out how to get rid of it, and that's going to take some time. But if there had been no American Revolution, it's not as though slavery was going to go away. Slavery lasted, as I say, in the British Empire until the 1830s. And lastly, how do you handle that question? You probably get it quite often, especially when you tackle the colonial era. How could the smartest men maybe in the world at the time not come out with a, come up with a plan to rid the continent of – or at least the 13 colonies of slavery, even if they did sunset slave trade? Well, one of the reasons was that what Thomas Jefferson uh, basically made his trio of rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, was in other formulations, life, liberty, and property, and slaves – under that regime were property. So how can you deprive people of property? That was the question. Another question was, how can southern economies, which, as you noted earlier, it was in the southern states that most of the slaves resided, how could they run the southern economies without slavery? Now, they hoped that slavery was on its way out because tobacco, the principal cash crop of the South, was wearing out the soil. And George Washington himself was getting out of the cultivation of tobacco and planting wheat. And that shift would probably by itself sunset slavery because while tobacco requires a great deal of hands-on cultivation for many months out of the year, wheat is something you just plant in the spring and come back five months later and harvest, and that's that. What ended slavery in the north was not a fit of morality but the changing nature of the economy. And slavery no longer became useful to the northern economy. People like Washington believed that that same evolution would take place in the south. Now, it didn't because the cotton gin made cotton profitable in a way that it hadn't been before. But nobody in the 1770s foresaw that.
So interesting. I, it's, it, did you, do you can you believe what you do do for a living would be so much a part of the news? Oh well, you know, for somebody who's in the, the history trade, and, and by the way, congratulations on your new book, Brian. Thank but you. For those of us, you know, who do history, it's it's great that people are suddenly again interested in history. It's a little bit dismaying, though, that the interest derives primarily from po- from politics. I know. And can we use history to make a political point? And I think you and can all be, I can do there yeah. is just say it's more complicated than you think. And, and hit them with facts, right? I mean, the best thing yeah. you could do is yeah. say, no, this is the real, this is what happened, and let people make their judgment. Your book well, is so important. Exactly. Yeah, and, and then you, you have I that mean, in your head. Um, yeah, so that's my approach in my books. That's my approach in my teaching. These are the facts, dear reader, dear student. You make up your own mind on this, but make sure you have the facts before you make up your mind. I do wake up every day. Uh, happy to be in this country. And the more I study, the more I am, even though I know we're not perfect. Uh, the name of his brand new book is Our First Civil War, Patriots and Loyalists in the American Revolution. H.W. Brands, it's always great to talk to you. Congratulations. Thanks, Brian. One, best to you. Yeah, same to you. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I did leave some time for you, so get on board. We're talking about the Rittenhouse trial. We're talking about the economy. We're talking about the president's actions or inactions to turn this inflation uh, rise around and get us back on the self-sufficient energy bandwagon. Can it indeed be the case? Happy Veterans, to, uh, Veterans Day to all. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. With us in government, we campaign with the plan. Uppercase T, uppercase P, the plan. And then the environment is such that we're expected to defend the plan. Even when the first time we roll it out, there may be some glitches and it's time to reevaluate and then do it again. Is that crazy? The vice president of the United States meeting with Macron today and his wife, former teacher, I guess. uh, That's another story. But in making an announcement, trying to patch up uh, men fences after the nuclear deal was cut out from underneath the French and given us, it was a good move. But the way they handled it just showed total amateurism. So she's over there trying to uh, mend fences after the president really did all the work. And then she sits there with a mask on in a small environment coming up with, I don't know, something out of context. But she's putting on a French accent with some Bugs Bunny commercial. I mean, what is she doing? Who is she talking to that said that's a good idea? Can you imagine if somebody was introduced, you're the president or the vice president, and use a fake American accent, kind of mocking it? I don't know. It's crazy. But almost everything she does seems wrong. And she clearly can't touch trust her instincts. You would think of a former attorney general, the former senator from California, the one who ran for president miserably— Terrible organization. They gets picked vice president. She'll be doing this for about a year now. You think about all the speeches she made, you think that she'd have it down instinctively without a script or with a script. But I sit there, I can list all the missteps that she's had. It's uh, job security for Joe, uh, Joe Biden. No one's going to push him out knowing that uh, vice president's waiting. I mean, some people say that was with Quayle and Bush 41, but, but vice president Quayle was qualified. 
from the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York and around the country, around the world. Special thanks to everyone who showed up in Madison, Connecticut last night. That'll see in Doylestown, Pennsylvania today, and hopefully in Albany, New York on Friday, and Indiana, South Bend, Indiana on Saturday. Just go to BrianKilmeade.com. The President of Freedom Fighter comes out of the New York Times list number three. Thanks to you guys. Truly appreciate it. It's been fun talking about it. Big event also for WDBO listeners, WOKV listeners around. Big event in Orlando coming up on the 21st. It gives me a rare opportunity to talk about all my books, bring some production value to it, interact with a, with a big live audience on stage, which is always fantastic. Meanwhile, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think you're looking at legitimate allies. I think you're pushing, and, and inc- that includes AMSITS, you're probably pushing up close to 100,000. For example, if you have 6,000 Afghan special operators, which we do, then you look at 20,000 family members, right? That, that's what's not being talked about. Uh, great point. Scott Mann from our interview yesterday, Veterans Day today. Once again, our disastrous exit from Afghanistan is having us wondering how we could leave so many behind and how many, uh, how, why private groups have to do what the Pentagon State Department and White House should be doing. We'll discuss it, especially on a Veterans Day where many are wondering about their service. They shouldn't. Number two. The defense is going to be making a motion for a mistrial. However, that motion is going to be requested with prejudice. I'm aware that the court's aware that normally a a defense motion uh, for a mistrial does not preclude a retrial. Uh, Yeah. Did you see this yesterday? Rittenhouse, the teenager who is on trial for murder when the case is clearly showing self-defense, the details as they unfold, and they will have how they will unfold did in the past, will discuss this case, which I think will result in an acquittal, and of course, riots will ensue, sadly. Number one. Everything from a gallon of gas to a loaf of bread costs more, and it's worrisome, even though wages are going up. We still face challenges, and we have to tackle them. We have to tackle them head on. Finally, someone's telling him that inflation is affecting everyone. It's your economy, stupid. President Biden presiding over the slow-motion car crash of what was once an American revival and how his policies are sending us backward, how his next package could bring us down. Inflation is the highest in over three decades. Our supply chain is jammed up, and the rise uh, in all energy prices, all of it, from your house to your car to your motorcycle to your boat, hurting everyone somehow. It hits everybody. And... I was just so surprised this this administration would have one thing I thought was going to be experienced. Yeah, on paper. But they don't feel the people. They don't feel what's going on. They're caught up in Washington more than any other administration in my lifetime. In my lifetime. Many of which never were in the private sector, had no clue what's happening in small business, don't have any interest in, again, bringing some talent in from the outside that won't be so ideological but will be more effective. So Joe Biden goes down to the ports where he wanted to brag about an infrastructure package he had to have, but he's delayed signing it for a week and a half. I thought it was an emergency. Cut one. And the irony is people have more money now. Because of the first major piece of legislation I passed. You all got checks for $1,400. You got checks for a whole range of things. It changed people's lives. But what happens if there's nothing to buy, you got more money, you compete for getting it there, it creates a real problem. Yeah. That's called, you said you were in touch with Mr. and Mrs. 
lunch pail, uh, the hard hats, the blue collar, the union workers. That's what everyone's experiencing. And what, what you have now is a country that's $600 billion over debt, and all you're talking about is spending more money. You came in and said, I want a rescue package, $1.9 trillion. Still has not been spent. So don't tell me it's an emergency. Still has not been spent. Do you know that Trump passed, I think, $800 billion after he had lost, filling out the transition period right after Christmas, in between New Year's, about $800 billion, $900 billion. We didn't need it. But he passed it. They passed it on a bipartisan basis because they knew the Democrats knew they were taking over in every chamber eventually. And then Joe Biden comes in $1.9 trillion. Larry Summers told him at the time, he said, this is going to cause inflation. And they quickly attacked Larry Summers, who was the Treasury Secretary for this horrible person called Barack Obama. But we didn't need it. He said we didn't need 1.9. said, watch it, the 1.2, and do not do the reconciliation. Reconciliation package. Listen to this, and you know you live it. Gasoline prices up 49%. Fuel oil up 69%. Utility gas up 28%. Used cars up 25%. Beef up 20%. Pork up 14%. Peanut butter up 6%. Baby food up 8%. Prices for bedding and costing the biggest since 1951. You have sporting goods up 9%. So the dollars that you had just get you less. Now the inflation's at 6.2%. And don't tell me the spending doesn't have something to do with it. And Joe Biden, if I can use Hillary Clinton's term, wants us to spend uh, suspend belief. Uh, when he talks about passing his package anyway. How could you possibly want to pass your spending package anyway, knowing that you're saying that we're spending too much right now? So to me, when you see energy prices and we stop drilling and we're stopping pipelines, when we're considering stopping another major one from Canada, you wonder where the reality is going to step in. Thankfully, Joe Manchin stepped in. Joe Manchin sees the inflation, sees these numbers, sees the unemployment is still at uh, is still low, but the free jobs are 10 million plus. And when the president talks about jobs, I don't know what he's talking about. But here's what Joe Manchin uh, tweeted out yesterday. By all accounts, the threat posed by record inflation to the American people is not transitory. That's what Joe Biden said. And is instead getting worse. From the grocery store to the gas pump, Americans now uh, know the inflation tax is real, and D.C. can no longer ignore the economic pain Americans feel every day. Ron Klain is doubling and tripling down. He says, yeah, the best thing for us and for the workforce, the best thing for us would be to get day, uh, daycare so women can go back to work and get uh, child care so they, can go, so they can get payment after they give birth to a child uh, for every single business. I'm not sure what spending more money for that program is going to be effective. You can't get everything. It is just not possible. So now you have a, a situation where John Kerry is getting all the heat. He's on the cover of the Time magazine, not that people get Time magazine anymore. He's over in Glasgow selling away our energy future. And the woman who's going to be a member of tra- is recommended for the Treasury, who's having a lot of turbulence because she's pro-Soviet Union economy, probably the last person in the country who has graduated college that would be eligible for this spot age-wise for this position. This is Saul Amarova. If you want to know the geniuses that President Biden is surrounding himself with, here's who he aspires to have our wallets. Cut seven. Here what I'm thinking about is primarily coal industry and oil and gas industry. A lot of the smaller players in that industry are uh, going to probably uh, go bankrupt in, in, in short order. At least we want them to go bankrupt if we want to tackle climate change, right? Yeah, right. So we want the American people who worked on pipelines, who worked in oil and gas at the highest and lowest level, where there are investors who are being encouraged by Wall Street not to invest, by the way, mutual funds divesting from things like Exxon. 
which is uh, criminal. You should do things that give you the greatest profit. If you don't feel comfortable with that, then you get out of that mutual fund, don't buy that stock. That's the way it used to be. The government should not be intimidating you not to invest. But Kevin Hassett, former counsel of economic advisors, he's the chairperson, and he's a former official economic advisor who went back and forth with Trump at least twice, said this about what we're experiencing last night. Cut 11. People sort of say, oh, it's looking like the 1970s. I actually think it could be worse than the 1970s. If you look at all these forces, these are policy errors that are unlike anything economists have ever seen. So I, I would, at what point is he going to stop and what point are you going to blame Trump? I mean, I'm surprised he hasn't come out and blamed Trump yet. That's usually what almost everybody does. They blame Trump or the predecessor. Nobody was better at that than President Obama. You know, the economy was crashing. The Iraq war was raging, even though the Iraq war was settled. So he took the troops out and he pumped money into the system and the money was never used effectively. And in the end, his big win was a stimulus package. And then he jammed through Obamacare and then everything stopped because the chambers began to flip to other parties like the Republican Party. Byron York about the president not understanding that he has 38 percent approval rating for a reason. Cut 13. Back in February, just a couple of weeks into the administration, Larry Summers, the former Treasury Secretary, warned that all the stimulus that was being passed was too big and could lead to inflation. And the Biden administration just absolutely discounted what he said, ignored it. Now it has turned out to be true, and the president is making a really preposterous claim saying that we need to spend even more past the big BBB bill, and that will help bring inflation under control, not inspiring a lot of confidence among voters. Uh, uh, Byron York makes it seem so fine. I find it absolutely aggravating. And, you know, I listened to Harold Ford yesterday. I talked to another Democrat yesterday, and they're just center-left. Center-left makes this a better show and makes us a calmer country. Center-right, too. I know if uh, the conservatives would please me with almost all their policies. But I am not for uh, I am not for alienating two-thirds of the people. I don't want to live from election to election. If we could get somebody, not necessarily moderate, firm in their beliefs, willing to compromise on some and go where the country is, center-right. And you know who said that? Democrat Joe Manchin. Talked to Governor Justice over the weekend, kind enough to come to my event over in West Virginia. Said the same thing. You come out with this brutal mandate. You stop oil and gas. You stop pipelines. You stop. Uh, you don't make a move to start making things here. All you do is say things are getting better. Stop ordering more, and we won't have any problem unloading ships. At the same time, with sixty to eighty thousand short on truck drivers, instead of saying I'm going to be sponsoring free truck driver school and incentivizing, maybe through federal federal supplements, supplements, uh, driving, uh, learning to drive a truck and maybe giving people a little bit extra because it helps the country being that we're that far down. And then dealing with it on a regular basis, as people have brought up, we're going to let them drive one hour more to get them more distance closer to their ultimate destination without endangering the American public. That shows person that's hustling, but it doesn't make you get up every day and say Democrat, Republican. We'll see if that happens next. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. If not next, after that. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to be joined by Corey Mills. And this is what I've always said. The more people that serve in the military that decide to go into Congress, Republican or Democrat, the better I feel. They already know what it's like to care more about the country than themselves. You don't do it for the money. And then when you get frustrated about the policy, instead of sitting on the sidelines and getting a bumper sticker, you get involved. Corey Mills is one of those people. He wants to get involved and, get, and win the 7th District in Florida. He's going to be with us next. And then on this Veterans Day, Gary Sinise, 
He may do more for the veterans than anybody else civilian in this country. He'll talk to us, uh, the author of Grateful American, A Journey from Self uh, to Service. So. On this Veterans Day, take a minute and thank them. Thank you for your service. Happy Veterans Day from the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Today is November uh, 10th. I mean, how is it possible that, that the department doesn't know how many immediate family members are still left? I think it's I don't have a number for you. We believe it's uh, certainly uh, most likely in the dozens. Uh, but one of the reasons we put the memo out last week was to encourage service members to come forward. It's unbelievable. I mean... Uh, does I, If I was going to be a spokesperson, just say I'm an admiral, and I know John Kirby, I would say, I'm not going out there unless you give me a number. And I would be throw up a map, and i say, this is my biggest question. I know I have a, a central location in these regions. We're working on over-the-land passage. I've worked with X, Y, and Z groups, and this is why it's good to work private as well as go through diplomatic. And these are some of the challenges that we're having. We got out the nuclear family, but now they got the extended family. And and those are the types of things I'd be answering instead of just general ballpark, uh, not acknowledging that they said about 100 people are left and we've already gotten hundreds more out, not acknowledging that the screening process barely took place here and there's not been enough money allocated or programs in place for all the refugees that we brought here in the blink of an eye. Here's Morgan Luttrell this morning on Fox & Friends. He is running for Kevin Brady's seat in Texas and, as you know, twin of Marcus and also a Navy SEAL. If the Biden administration is so concerned about saving American lives with these mandates and these mask mandates and so on and so forth, why don't they mandate we rescue our citizens and save their lives as well over in Afghanistan? Well, I was fortunate enough to run into an interpreter that served with us overseas for so long uh, in the past couple of weeks, and his family's still over there. And he, he pleaded with us. He begged us. He's like, who do I need to get to help me get my family over? He spoke perfect English. Where's that at? All, right. all, all Biden has to do is say, let's do this. Let's mandate this. Task Millie, task Austin, and go get our people. How about that when you talk about a mandate? Doesn't that make sense? So... Isn't there a military person in there that says, Mr. Day, Mr. President, on a daily basis, I cannot sleep tonight, General Milley. I cannot sleep. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Navy officer. I'm an Army officer first before I'm Secretary of Defense. I cannot sleep until I find a way to get some of these people out. Don't they know that they're getting the same calls and contacts that Michael Waltz is getting, that Tom Cotton's getting, that he's got his staff still burning the phones to get him out before Christmas? I mean, if you want to, if you don't want to be bothered by it, can you at least give us the attention for the next two to three weeks? Do you know those people that fought in Afghanistan, look down, don't see legs or feet or arms or fingers, and wonder, is it all worth it because the president doesn't even want to talk about it? Does he think about that at all? So here is Ryan Zinke, former Secretary of the Interior. He talked about not only are they not helping, they're hurting. Cut 29. Where is the congressional investigations? This is a Biden-created crisis that we've left our family members, we've left our allies hanging in the, in the winds. And not only has our government not been helpful of getting our people out, they have been, in many cases, the obstacles. Now, I'm contacted every day by individuals that have interpreters, family members that need to get out of that country. And in many cases, our State Department, 
under this administration has not only been not helpful, they are the chief obstacle of getting our people out. What do you want to do? Whatever you say about Trump, number one, as soon as the Taliban started moving on Kabul, he would have stopped it. And one of the reasons is he had threatened to kill the guy the way he was going to kill, well, they killed Soleimani, the way they took him out al-Baghdadi. See, I know exactly where you live. If you start, uh, if you start uh, lying to me and going against my wishes, I will kill you. And he said that. I heard this from two or three different people, including uh, the general was just in here. And he said that before. And they had, they had an understanding. Never going to be friends. They had an understanding. And they never would have left people behind. And they never would have let equipment. Have you met President Trump? He walks around his hotels. If he sees waste, it drives him crazy. Do you think he would have left millions of dollars there? I don't know. Did we pull this, Eric, of Joe Biden 20 years ago talking about uh, – do we ever pull that? 20 years ago, talking – running for president the first time in 2008. He has a very small group in front of him because he was never that popular. And he talked about pulling out of Afghanistan. So this was 08, so pretty significant. It's 11, 12 years ago. We were already talking about getting out. And at that time, he basically tells the American, he tells this small group of people that were considering voting for him for president, uh, tells them exactly what we'd be up against if we were, uh, if we were pulled out of Afghanistan. That it's not something you could snap your fingers and we could just leave. And it's pretty amazing because, uh, for the most part, uh, that's exactly what he did. And it's even worse than he thought. And what I love, too, is so many people were against the Afghanistan long-term war, staying there too long. And many, many politicians on both sides were for that. I wasn't. I saw the benefit of being there to a degree. So listen to Joe Biden. If tomorrow the order goes out from the president, I'm president of the United States, I issue an order, end the war today, begin to withdraw all American troops. It will take a year to get the American troops out. Do you hear me now? That's the truth. It will take a year to get them physically out. Now, if you leave all the equipment behind, you might be able to do it in seven months. And you leave those billions of dollars of weapons behind, I promise they're going to be used against your grandchild and mine someday. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's Veterans Day, November 11th. You know that. And uh, for the longest time, I think we're, every year that goes by, I think we appreciate our veterans more. I think it's part of being in the volunteer army process. People say, wow, it's only 2% of the public that done, done it. With the wars we fought in the past, the veterans are here. Time to show them respect. It's one of the few things that brings Democrats and Republicans together. It always has motivated Gary Sinise, Oscar-nominated actor, founder of the Gary Sinise Foundation. And today is a big day, Gary. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. Good to be back. So tell me about the foundation and this uh, this great moment for you guys. Hey, uh, well, we're uh, 10 years old now. We launched uh, at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. on June 30th, 2011. So uh, this past June, we celebrated our 10th anniversary. Uh, the foundation has grown quite a bit from the early days. Uh, there was, you know, I was the original donor, of course, and now we have thousands and thousands of our fellow citizens who have gone to our website, GarySiniseFoundation.org, made a contribution, uh, supported us in our many programs. One of those programs is called RISE, Restoring Independence supporting empowerment. It is a 
home building effort. Uh, that's one of the, the things that we do with, with RISE. We build specially adapted smart technology homes for our badly wounded service members. And today, um, uh, going, going back to 2010, before I had the foundation, I started raising money to build homes. And today, uh, we give away a home in Bourne, Texas, uh, to Jason and Courtney Tabansky. Um, it's our 75th home that we're uh, that we've uh, done over the years, providing these uh, mortgage-free smart technology homes. That's just one of the programs of the Gary Sinise Foundation, but one I'm very proud of because we have so many badly wounded service members from right. Afghanistan and Iraq, and they deserve our support. They do. Gary Sinise, our guest. So, Gary, 75th mortgage-free home. That is unbelievable. Uh, I know, I know I, when I talk to even uh, for other foundation, people that have other foundations, it still what kills you is there's so many other people that have needs. So you have to say yes to one, but you feel really bad for the ones you didn't have enough uh, money to help. So any money that could come in is for a great cause. Uh, Gary, uh, how tough was it for you especially? If you weren't acting, you were playing in your band for, for free for charitable causes, mostly veterans' causes. What must it was like for the first time in your adult life last year and the year before? Being at home, uh, not being able to. Yeah, uh, uh, very difficult. I mean, I've been traveling nonstop for, for decades here, um, you know, going to do movies, uh, you know, across the country. And then um, I really ramped up my military support after September 11th and just have been nonstop traveling. We've done over 530-some concerts around the world and uh, multiple events, and uh, I'm just very, very busy with that. And then along comes the pandemic, and we had to shut down our travel, but it didn't stop us from extending our hand out there. We actually raised uh, as much or more money last year than we have previously uh, because we expanded into our COVID-19 combat uh, emergency combat service to support, you know, uh, veterans, first responders, uh, healthcare workers around the country that were fighting this pandemic, and we wanted to be a part of that. So we supported. We continued uh, building our homes, of course. We just couldn't do a lot of the concerts. Uh, but just recently, just last weekend, uh, we went to Nellis Air Force Base and played for everybody there. And uh, we have a wonderful program, Brian, called Snowball Express, uh, focused on the children of our fallen heroes. We usually take over a thousand kids to Disney World uh, right around Christmas time. We can't do that this year. We couldn't do it last year, so we went virtual and we did a virtual event for them. And um, I recorded a concert. Uh, wow. with my band for the kids, and we just uh, did that this past weekend. How tough has it been from the soldiers you've seen after the way we left Afghanistan? I understand the calls to suicide hotlines have quadrupled among the veteran community. So many are banged up that you know personally, and they're looking around saying, the way we left, the horror we left behind, the, the plane that was uh, full and not full, the people that are still there, it really made them question their service. That's what I'm getting. Are you seeing that? I, ha I have seen that, yes, of course. Uh, it's, it's difficult for so many, and I have so many Afghan uh, veterans that are within our, our community of support that we, we give, and we have a lot of people that reach out to us all the, all the time. And, 
you know, uh, we can't change what happened uh, there and what happened uh, for our exit. But what we can do is take all the proper steps to reach out and extend our hand to our veterans, no matter what. They go through a lot of difficult challenges. They have difficult issues. They aren't on the front pages all the time. Uh, certainly they're going through, uh, you know, reevaluation of their uh, service in Afghanistan and what that meant. But it meant something to me, and it matters. Their service matters no matter what. And each and every day, no matter whether it's Veterans Day, Memorial Day, uh, Independence Day, whatever it is, we can reach out and touch our veterans. They are our freedom providers. They deserve our support. They go through a lot of difficult things. And we need them to know that what they go through as they provide freedom for all of us right. Uh, is not taken for granted. So I, I encourage people to reach out and touch as many veterans each day as possible. They are uh, sacrificing for us, and we we, dis- we should give something back to them. Gary Sinise with us right now. You know Gary Sinise, uh, author of Grateful American, best-selling book, by the way. Uh, his foundation has provided its 75th mortgage-free home on this uh, perfect way to mark Veterans Day here in America. Gary, what about you getting back on the set? Uh, uh, do you plan on going back? Are there projects you're looking at? What What are people? Are you? Is it feel normal? Uh, is it's it's different. I have uh, this past year. I've uh, focused on my family and focused on the, the work of the foundation. Um, been staying close to home uh, for family reasons, and uh, I, you know, if something comes along and it's the right thing and it feels right. Um, I'll certainly consider it. Uh, I don't think my acting is is over by any means. I'm just focused on other things, and I've been blessed, Brian. I had a great career in television and movies, and uh, made some money, and and uh, you know have a wonderful platform that I can use to 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 shine a spotlight on on the men and women who serve our country. So, a lot of things have gone right. Um, I'm just uh, focused on other things right now, and eventually we'll get back to doing some acting. You know, what's interesting is, uh, I don't know how, I think I take a giant leap, and you might feel the same way. You know, when you're first coming up, uh, doing what I do, but you're much more in the glitz and glamour end of it, you know, it's great when a big director oh, or a big star... Oh, you're glitzy there on Fox and Friends. It's, it's very glamour. Oh, yeah, exactly. It reminds you so much of Hollywood, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, so as you're coming up, if a famous star, actor, director, producer says, hey, you're Gary Sinise, I just see you feel like you're on cloud nine. Now it's all changed. If I see a soldier, uh, an airman, a Marine, and they come up to you and they say thanks or I appreciate what you're doing, and I don't do uh, I, I even a small percentage of what you do or if they like what you do, to me that uh, is better than Jeter knowing who you're talking to or Stallone coming up. It is, it is all flipped as we got older, hasn't it? Uh, it it's, it's, it's wonderful. Look, I always take the opportunity. I, I would say this to, to anyone. Uh, you know, you, if you see somebody in uniform, and, and uh, don't hesitate. Go up and pat them on the back and just say, hey, thank you for serving our country. That, that could change their whole day. I mean, you never know if that person has just gotten off a plane from someplace around the world and he, and he, and he lost buddies or he's got buddies in the hospital who got blown up or he's feeling, uh, you know, 
low or whatever, you me walking up to that person and just saying, "Hey, what you're doing matters to me. I appreciate it." That could change the whole the whole mood. And I always take those opportunities to go up to folks and thank them for what they do. I don't take their service for granted. I know this this freedom that we enjoy here. <laughs> it it comes at a cost. There's a price that is paid. We have people that are willing to pay that price. And we can never take that for granted. Just imagine if we had no one to serve and and and, and we didn't have this freedom. It, it has to be fought for and protected. You go to places around the world that don't really know what freedom is, and they have uh, militaries there that are there to take their freedom away or oppress them. You value your own freedom that much more, and you value the people that provide it for you. No doubt about it. And the other thing that uh, I look at when I read your book about what you did you know, you drop out of college, you start your own, uh, you start your own theater company. You're literally out there ripping tickets, selling tickets, sweeping the theater, getting the scenery done, being able to nail stuff together, put a cast together, actually perform. When you come up that way, that to me, even if you didn't become Gary Sinise, the big actor, there was some type of solace in doing everything you could. Do you worry that that type of drive is missing, that people are looking too much for excuses and not enough grind and grit in uh, in in America right now. Well, I uh, look. I know people spend a lot of time on their devices these days, and uh, but you know when you go to the military academies and you see the folks that are serving at the military academies and going to school, this is this is where. You know, our military leaders are trained. Uh, I've been to all the military academies. I've performed at them. I've done events at them. And I am always uh, hopeful and impressed when I leave because I see just a a bunch of great Americans uh, that want to be great leaders. And uh, And they're going to the academies to learn how to do that. That's impressive. I'm uh, I'm impressed by that. I I, I don't know. I think uh, I think people uh, around the country. There's plenty of people that are working real hard to try and do uh, you know to try to provide for their families and to try to learn a skill. Uh, uh, we could do. We could always use more of that. <laughs> but uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say that that's not happening out there and take away from the people that are really focused on that. You got it. Gary Sinise, it's a big day. Not only is it uh, Veterans Day, but it pre- his, the Gary Sinise Foundation, Sinise Foundation has provided the 75th mortgage-free home to a wounded hero, uh, and it was retired Army Sergeant, uh, Staff Sergeant Jason Trebensky. So good job, Tabansky. Gary. Trebensky. Trebensky. Uh, Trebensky. You, you got it. <laughs> Gary, thanks so much. Brian, thank you, and uh, I encourage folks to go to GarySiniseFoundation.org and see what we're doing. We're doing a lot of great things out there trying to help a lot of great Americans. Playing a lot of great music and doing a lot of great acting along the way. Gary Sinise, thank you. I appreciate it, and happy Veterans Day. When we come back, I'll take your calls and find out if there's indeed more to know. Freedom speaks for itself, and we wouldn't have it without you. Thank you for serving our country and being the best Americans you can be. Happy Veterans Day from the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Hey, welcome back, everybody. Special thanks to everyone who came uh, to Connecticut last night. Hopefully I'll see you in Pennsylvania, and I'll see you over in Albany tomorrow. Uh, I think we're going to start signing at about 530, so you can still have a great night. Uh, We'll do that in Albany, my first stop there. Then over to South Bend, Indiana, the big noise event. I'll do Trey Gowdy on Sunday, back here on Monday, uh, as I continue to do my quick trade day trips around the country to get the word out about the president and freedom fighter. But it doesn't mean I don't need to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. So get this. The son of basketball legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was so upset at Aaron Rodgers. Maybe he should have been paying more attention at home. It turns out his son has been sent to six months in jail for stabbing his Southern California neighbor with a hunting knife. His name is Adam Abdul-Jabbar. He was sentenced Tuesday after pleading guilty to three counts of assault with a deadly weapon. Prosecutors had sought a seven-year jail sentence, objected to the plea offer, uh, but Jabbar and his San Clemente neighbor shared a driveway, and he stabbed the 60-year-old neighbor several times on June 9th last year after the man confronted him about failing to take in his trash cans. Oh, unbelievable. Abdul-Jabbar's elderly roommate. Uh, They were roommates, I guess. Next. Oklahoma Governor uh, Kevin Stitt has signed an executive order preventing the Oklahoma State Department of Health from issuing gender-neutral birth certificates. I don't think that should be big news, but sadly it is. Next, Tesla CEO Elon Musk sold nearly $5 billion in Tesla stock, according to the financial filings of Wednesday evening. He still holds more than 166 million shares. His trust sold more than $3.5, worth about $3.8 billion dollars. What does he know? Early Wednesday filing show Musk is selling a separate block of Tesla shares via plan that he set in motion on September 14th this year. So maybe it's a good time to get into Tesla. We will see. It's hard to keep up with him. Luke Combs, crowned Entertainer of the Year. I fully back this move uh, at the CMAs. Uh, I don't deserve to win it, he said. Every single person that was nominated for this award this year and every year before deserves to, deserves to win this. I don't deserve to win it, but I'm sure as hell glad that I did. Thank y'all so much. My team, my label, everybody. I love y'all. Thank you so much. Combs was nominated for the award with Eric Church, Miranda Lambert, Chris Stapleton, Carrie Underwood. Uh, Combs was also up for male vocalist song of the year. Uh, that was for doing this. Last year, Combs took home the male vocalist of the year and album of the year awards for what you see is what you get. He's like an everyman. I saw him on CBS this morning. They did a a look at him, and you know he's he's the old-fashioned country music singer, and that the music isn't necessarily old-fashioned, mm. but he's kind of a heavy-set guy. Wears a vest, doesn't really shave. Yeah, wouldn't stand out in the out. crowd if he was walking down the street. You wouldn't say, "Oh, there goes a cele- there goes a star, a music star." Like Luke Bryan, clearly Luke Bryan looks like a celebrity. Yeah, right. He and he's very to the left, it seems. Like Trace Atkins, you know, they, they say oh, that's a big you, that's a big celebrity. But that's say. a country. He looks like a country music guy. Yeah, true. Yeah, you know, a lot of guys. I don't know. Country music guys shouldn't look that good. Do you think? They should have <laughs> something like they should have a scar. So they have to have a scar or or, or like some sort of and injury. Smell okay, but not great. You don't want to smell too good. So what? Like you. so what? So what should be the bathing regimen then? When necessary. Okay. Big event. Only so for big, only for big events. Should they wear I'm cologne? Showering. Cologne. I mean, what type of shampoo? Yeah, I don't think I'm, I'm. I think cologne's so overrated. No one talks cologne anymore. Next, Luke Bryan speaking of the devil, seemingly throws shade at Aaron Rodgers during the CMA's monologue. Let's listen together. And it is so great to be here with all my fellow artists, tested and together. 
Or immunized? Kind of having fun with Aaron Rodgers there, but evidently Carrie Underwood, I love country music gossip, not happy because her husband was in support of Aaron Rodgers not being uh, a chameleon and and just going his own direction. Did, did you see her reaction that became like they a, call a it meme? the side eye? Yeah, she had that look, and you could and you could see it was it was almost the evil eye. Uh, the music is definitely different now, which means the show's about to end. I was going to ask you about your rivalry again. Are you going to perform to challenge Paul McCartney at some point? Paul McCartney's number one. I'm number three. And my rivalry with Paul McCartney will continue now because, once again, for, for now, because he wrote his lyrics as a book. It should not be fair. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.